the James Suckling podcast. Wine ratings, reports, interviews and more. Bonjour. Bonjour. Hello, Veronique. I'm Claire. Hello. Nice to meet you. Great. So I'm very excited to talk to you about your wines from Oregon. Uh, we've been tasting them the last couple of weeks, uh, your 2019s, and we're very impressed both with your Pinots and your Chardonnays. Thank you. Um, really wonderful wines. Um, if you could tell me a bit about the 2019 vintage uh, in general, and maybe the 2020, if you managed to bottle any, maybe your wines were affected by the smoke. Um, Yes, no, absolutely, yes. Two totally different years, but they should have been very similar, but they ended up being really very different because of the smoke. So the 2019 was, I would say, eventless. There was no issue with anything. And like we can get here in Burgundy, you know, frost and things like that. It was an, an easy growing season. It didn't start with a big crop, so it didn't end up with a huge crop. I would say it's a normal to maybe a little bit less than normal. I didn't fill up all my tanks, which which I do like. The ripening season was um, was smooth and easy and not too early. So unlike the couple of years where we are seeing warm vintages making the harvest go happen sooner, uh, 2019, Let's see if I have the dates. Uh, we started on September 20 and ended up on October 9, which is nice. That means we didn't have a, a sudden ripeness where everything had to be picked at one time. The beauty of the two properties of Rose Rock and DDO is one is in Dundee and one is in Iola. And Iola, I always have almost one week difference in the, in the uh, picking time because it's a cooler sites, you have a cold air flowing through the valley called the Vanduzer Corridor, and that cold air coming from the ocean kind of tends to slow the ripeness of the fruit, which is which is great to organize the, the picking time. Conditions of uh, the fruit was excellent. We had both the ripeness of the fruit, but the phenolic ripeness, which to me is very important because in Oregon, um, it's the same here, but I would say the challenge is, the goal is the same, but the challenges may not be the same. So the goal is to produce, as you probably know, the style of the wine we like to produce is towards being very um, elegant and delicate and respectful of the fruit. So here, if you do, if nothing goes wrong and if you have a normal crop, you will have an, a nice finesse naturally. In Oregon, you have to be careful not to take too much of the fruit, otherwise you could make a bit big wines lacking that finesse, which doesn't come that easily. So you really need to look for it. So 2019, we had lovely ripe fruit, not, not overripe. There's good balance. Uh, interestingly, the acidity in the Oregon wines sometimes can seem, you could think it's a bit low, but in the end, the balance of the wine is very good. So I don't correct the acidity, even though my pH could be three, five, three, six, which could seems to be a little bit high, but I've learned not to worry about that, that it's okay. <laughs> Bonjour, James. Uh -huh. Ça va et toi? <laughs> so I made a little experiment where I chose one block and I have small fermenters and I did 0% in one and 30% in the other one. And my best, most exciting and uh, most, the one that had the most character 
was that 30% blend. I ended up blending both cuvées and I made an um, edition limitée just because I liked it very much. So I thought, whoa, this is interesting. So since that, I've been using a little bit of Oclasa, not in every tank, not every block. It's really decided by showing them and how they look and how they look the grapes. So 2019 was nice and ripe, so I did use some uh, Oclasa, but not in not in all the all the cuvées. Uh, what else can I tell you about? So I go, normally I go with levure naturelle, so I don't add yeast in the Pinot. In the Chardonnay, it's different. I, I do inoculate with yeast because I have run through some problems. The problem is I don't live there. So once the harvest and when making time is over, I come back to Burgundy. And you know, for the white, it can take a long time for them to ripen and to uh, finish fermentation. And I, I have seen some problem where it stacks mm -hmm. and I'm not there to re-inoculate and to restart the fermentation and then you run to VA uh, issues. So for the whites, I'm kind of playing safe and I do inoculate with yeast, but the, the, not the Pinot. The Pinot, it would be very unlikely eventually to try the yeast, but in case I need to use them, so. Does, does that lead to more variation between the vintages and between the different uh, tanks if you use natural yeast for the pinots? Yeah, I, do, I don't like the idea of using too much of the yeast because then you standardize everything. And the idea is really to, to learn about the terroir in Oregon, which we don't know as well as we know them here. So I'm starting after 30 years to really see nuances. Because at the beginning, because we planted the the site slowly, not the 50 hectares at once, you had to make decision which clones, which rootstock and which one on which. And so my brother, Philippe, who is in charge of that, but that has been a very interesting and, and intellectually learning process. But then when you get results from those different blocks, you wonder if it's because of the vintage, because of the soil or because of that combination of the clone to the rootstock. But I have to say after 33 years, I have some blocks that consistently make it to the Louise blend or to the Lorraine blend. And that tells me it's not just because of the clone or the rootstock, because I've been through early vintages, late vintages, cold, wet, dry, and consistently those blocks. So you think, aha, there's something that must be due to the location, due to the terroir. What is it? I don't know, but it's something like, why is Musini so fabulous? Well, we know some of the clays. Which, which is good. I, I kind of like the idea that you can't totally know exactly the reason why a grand cru is a grand cru. But that I, I'm just finding it's like being the monks at the time when they were discovering the terroir in Burgundy. So it takes time and it will take time, but I'm starting to see them nailing down to more specific. Uh, I, I was curious about this. Um, you guys started in Dundee Hills and now you have Viola Amity as well. And they're, they're quite different because for Yolamity you get the cooling uh, from the Van Dusa and Dundee's a little bit warmer, is that correct? Um, and yeah. are you looking to try and plant in some cooler sites, so either higher altitude, uh, more ocean influence, because it's getting warmer every year? Yeah, it's getting warmer. So two things. First, the two sites have very similar type of soil. So we are on Jory at uh, DDO. And Rose Rock is Jory and Nekaya, which I don't have a DDO, but the both are volcanic. I am not on sedimentary soil at all, neither Rose Rock or DDO. And so I am pretty high on altitude to the point that when we bought DDO 
site in 87, David Adelson, who was the one who kind of encouraged us to go there and showed us the site, he said, it might be a bit high in altitude for Pinot Noir. You, you might be having sometimes some tr problem ripening the fruit. This was 30 years ago. And now we're like, thank God we bought yeah. that site because, <laughs> because we are actually on a fairly high uh, slope, so uh, altitude. And so the, for the moment, the, the, the temperature raise hasn't been too much a problem. Of course, last year, the smoke was the same issue where we were. Um, so it's good. And Rose Rock is naturally a cooler site, also on fairly high altitude, but I don't have a steep slope like I have at DDO. It's more flat on the plateau, but it's fairly high altitude. So at the moment, I feel lucky that by chance, we didn't decide, we didn't know 30 years ago that the temperatures would be going up. And I'm hoping it won't go further up because then you're right. We would need to go and seek some even cooler sites or change right here. But we're running through the same issues here. So. Yeah. And so 2020, did you manage to bottle anything? Was everything affected? Yeah, so it's a good question. So 2020, as you know, the smoke came and stayed in the valley for about nine days. And it only took a couple of hours to, to do the, the damage on the fruit. So what we decided with my brother, he said, OK, we we did farm, we did farm all the fruit. So we paid the cost of farming the fruit. <laughs> We need to learn about this because if, if it happens, we have no experience, zero experience, never happened here. So I said, maybe he said, the extra cost of making the wine is not that much. Pay the pickers and then we'll make the wine. So we decided to pick the fruit, make the wine and think that would be a way to learn how to work with the fruit. At the same time, um, people like Australians or some, some friends in California that sadly for them have been through the problem couple of times were very nice to share their experience. And some said, don't even bother picking because you will not be able to make wine that doesn't have smoke tank. Okay, those were, I thought, okay, they, that's their experience, but I think it's a bit sad not to try and do something rather than leaving, get rot on the, on the vine. So some others said, yes, there's, there's a way to work on the fruit, to treat the fruit. And they gave me, they sent me wine that had been treated and, it was not Pinot Noir, it was Cabernet, but still. And then they gave me the protocol. And I said to my brother, I said, I think we should try. So we picked, the, we picked all the block and we made the wine like there was no problem. I mean, we knew there was the problem. So I didn't do extended maceration. I didn't do cold soaking because you know that the soaking is the problem. But whatever you do, as soon as you are more than a couple hours in the tank, it is in the juice. So whatever you do. But there's things to do not to over extract the, the, the phenols. Um, so we made the wine and clearly, as long as there's sugar, it has a little smoky taste, but it's not unpleasant. But when the sugar transforms to alcohol, then it becomes a bit ashy and, and like cigarette, and that is not very pleasant. So in the end, we decided, okay, um, I cannot sign a bottle of DDO promising that in three or four years, it won't show the problem again, because that's something that could show later. Even if you did clean up the wine well, it could still be there. So I told my brother, I can't promise you that in two years, if we bottle the wine, no one will have an issue or nothing will come back. So with that, we decided to declassify the entire DDO production of Pinot. But we, we were not sure is the Chardonnay, but let's talk about the Pinot first. So 
I have made all the wine, and in the end, everything was blended in one big tank. So it's a very strange thing to do. But every time I was pressing something, I knew, I, even if I liked it, I said, Vero, you have to be honest with yourself. Um, so anyway, I would put the, the hose and go to my big tank. And then we started to work on that cuvee. And we did a lot of trials based on the experience of my friends. And Auntie Nori has been one of our great, great um, uh, help because they're very close friends and they've had the problem and they tried a lot in Italy and gave me the protocol, which is what finally I, I did use. So uh, long story short, I make I made a cloud line Pinot Noir and cloud line is my Negos wine that I do for Dreyfusage um, B originally with our distributor in the US. He wanted an, a nice Pinot at an 18, 19 US dollar retail price. And I thought, okay, this is fair to sell a wine that will be, we know, not kept in cellars for five to 10 years. It will be enjoyed soon. Uh, the wine is delicious. In the end, I'm very happy with, with the wine. So I declassified, but I made a nice cloud line. So I don't make the deal, but it's not all going to the drain. So I'm, it's, it's a happy end for me. And I, and I did learn a lot. So to answer your question, no Pinot at DDO at all. No cuvee, but a nice cloud line. And, and the white, that is the happy surprise. As you say in English, uh, every cloud has a silver lining, and the silver lining was the Chardonnay. It's well, absolutely delicious. Were the grapes not affected? No, because you know it is in the skin. And the problem is if you do cold soaking, which some people did maceration, then they got the problem. What I did with the Chardonnay, again, based on some uh, recommendation, I picked the fruit, put it in the press. I did throw away the first part of the juice coming. Then I pressed. I kept the, 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 the heart of the, the pressing. And then I threw also away. So my yield was very, very low. But the, the juice I kept was very clean. I had that checked. Uh, of course, you can do analysis. They're very, uh, they're very expensive to do, but they're, they're very precise. And the juice was was very clean. And then the wine did ferment no problem. So I'm, I'm happy. That's the only 2020 from uh, DDO or Rose Rock that I, I will make is the Chardonnay. To make your different cuvées or just one? No, I did make the, I just did my blends and I have a May Gold. I have um, a cuvée Edition Limitée. Uh, I don't know if you did get them. Uh, Ashley sent me the list. El, um, oh, but no, this is 2019 you got. You didn't get the 22 bit. But yes, I did make the El, Arthur. Um, I did the May Golds and, and Rose Rock. And now I'm doing a new cuvée. It's a Willamette Valley Chardonnay, which allows me to be more demanding for, for those cuvées. And I make a Willamette Valley, which is would be more like a, a little village here. And so that is going to be a new cuvee. But I did it last year in 2019. They did not, we're not selling it yet, but we are going to sell it. It's going to be probably priced at 25 US dollars. So it's a nice wine, but allows me to take, it's like when I make the Clodimouche, not 100% of what I made will necessarily go to Clodimouche. And then I make a Côte de Boom. It's the nice idea of declassifying so your best career is, is even better. So this is it for 2020. <laughs> in, a, in a normal year, what's the proportion between your Pinot Noirs and your Chardonnays? And is there one that you, you prefer that you have a soft spot for? Oh, the production, I mean, 
in the normal year, my production is really focused, and that's why we went to Oregon is for the is Pinot. I have 45 hectares of Pinot at, um, in Dundee and, and five of Chardonnay and Rosewack is 45 of Pinot and four of Chardonnay. So you see the proportion of Pinot versus Chardonnay. But we are from Burgundy. We started with making only Pinot. It was very tempting to make Chardonnay. And we were a bit surprised and disappointed with the Chardonnay being produced back then because the reason was the clone. It took time for us to, to realize that, but the, the clone, the, the, the Chardonnay that we're growing was actually not really Chardonnay. It was the Auxerrois or the UC Davis 108 called Chardonnay, but from the expert that came with us from Burgundy, the guy who is the father of the clone, Dijon clone selection, he said, they're not, they're not Chardonnay with big clusters ripening very late. So they had the name Chardonnay, but didn't. So that was not of interest for us to do that. But when the true Dijon clone were allowed, which took five years for them to be uh, officially released. So we never played with clones that we took with us. There was no suitcase clones taken with us. That's too risky. And of course, the one arriving in Oregon, everybody was watching very close what we were doing. But those clones, that became very interesting. Day and night, you planted those vines three years later, little grapes ripening at the same time as Pinot, small cluster, tasting delicious. I mean, really Chardonnay-like. Now, if you ask me the question, what is the style of an Oregon Chardonnay? Honestly, I don't have the answer yet. I kind of have it for the Pinot. It's still too soon, but the good news is people like Dominique Lafont is very excited about Chardonnay and does work with it a lot and very well. So I think there's a good future for Chardonnay. It still will take us a little bit of time to exactly understand how that fruit is behaving and where. But um, I have to say I'm happy with Chardonnay. I was trying to be with the Chardonnay, not too much oak, not too much flattering the wine, not putting makeup. So we really taste the fruit. So when I started to do that, some people say, oh, well, that won't work. People are used here to have Chardonnay that are big and a big bold, you know, the classic with sometimes a bit sugar. And I said, that's fine. I'm not making much. Hopefully some people will like that style. And I have to say the, the trade, the sommelier liked it because they said, oh, this is a lovely fruit from the wine. So I'm really hopeful for the Chardonnay. I think Chardonnay will be the next very exciting variety. Even more than Pinot Gris. I'm not making Pinot Gris. It does well in Oregon. But honestly, I think it's a bit of a shame to use some of the good land for, for Pinot Gris. Yes. And uh, you, you said that you have an idea of what the character and the personality of Pinot Noir in Oregon is. How would, how would you describe it? Uh, for me, the Pinot from Oregon has some dark fruit flavor. It's not the classic raspberry, strawberry that we find here. You do find some things in common. You, you have... Um, lovely black carrot flavors quite consistently. And there's something that cons uh, that I see almost all the time, every hour and almost every little tank. And then of course the whole cluster will help on that in the spiciness. I don't find it in New Zealand Pinot. I don't find it in um, California Pinot. You do find it here in Burgundy. Naturally the grapes of Savigny Le Bon or Vaughan Romane will have that. But Oregon, I would say in, in general, that is a very, typical character of Oregon Pinot, that uh, lovely white pepper, spicy mm. character is quite true. It's not too obvious, but it is there. And then the next thing is on the palate. 
uh, again, if you don't overwork the fruit, the, the, the quality of the tannins, we say in français, we, we, I say le grain, le grain du tannin, the grain of the tannins, I don't know if you see what I mean, but what the impression in the palette is very, very nice. It's, it's not um, dry, it's not tannic, like sometimes here we can have a bit of uh, dry tannins. They are not too soft and too, um, uh, too flat either. I just like it. And I think that contributes to the elegance of the wine. And when I make the Louise, I'm not looking for the big ones, but I'm looking for the, looking for the most uh, refined of those tannins. So the Cuvée Louise is not the biggest of all my Cuvée, but um, hopefully it's the most refined, like for me, the Musigny of my Oregon property. The, the spiciness, the white pepper, and also the, the grain of the, the tannin, do you think that comes from the different soils, the volcanic and all the sedimentary soil, or more from like the climate? The, the... Mm, I think it's from the soil. I think it's from the soil, yes. Because I, I do see it. So there's a difference now between Rosework and Didio. The Didio fruit is more Chambord-like. The Didio, the Dundee for me is more this extremely refined, soyeux, velvety rontanins. The ones from Rosework are more heavy in fruit. They're really bright fruit wines, and they have a bit more structure, and they're a bit more like Gevray Chambertin. And I think that is both due to the climate, because it's a bit cooler there, but I think the soil has something to do with it. Uh, if it was just the climate, I think we would see, even here, we would see this. Um, now we say that because savigny les bones has a similar climate to Chorée les bones or to Bone, and yet the wines of Savigny, there must be something that make natural wines of Savigny more light in color, but very, very spicy wines. <laughs> um, great, Véronique, thank you so much. And lovely You're very to welcome. You. Very nice to meet you. Uh, my best to James. And I hope all goes well. Have a lovely summer. Thank you. Thank you. And you too. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.